This is episode number 27 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. And so this week's shout out on our reviews is from Christina Lane. And so she writes, I'm currently 19 weeks pregnant with my first baby. I'm a physiotherapist with kinesiology background. This podcast has been so helpful, even with the prior education I have received. Jess and Anita bring a specialized expertise to this topic. I appreciate the level of intimacy and vulnerability in their conversations, but also the educational content. A must listen for new moms. So thank you so much, Christina, for that awesome comment and feedback. And so we're excited to hear from all of our listeners. So definitely let us know over on iTunes, leaving us a rating and review on our website under your favorite episode or join us over on our To Birth and Beyond podcast Facebook group. Today we are finishing up part three of three in our postpartum mini-series and today we are talking about five misconceptions about postnatal fitness coaching. Really what we're talking about are ways that I went wrong for many years coaching postpartum fitness, postpartum exercise, and just how we have changed our ideas and thoughts about how we work with these populations to best serve them in an effective manner. So Anita, tell us how much you have changed as a practitioner working with postpartum populations over the last five years. Um, a lot. So yeah, I feel like just with what we what we learn and the courses coming out, but just in general, what we're learning as pelvic physios, but also as um, fitness instructors like yourself, there's just, we're always learning more information. So we do have to tweak what we do. Um, there's been times I've been a lot more conservative with exercise than I am now. And even now it's still about experimenting because every client is just going to be different because all our bodies are different. So it's about figuring out um, what works for them. And I know you and I kind of have a different situation. So with working online with clients, it's a different dynamic, right? Or different things that you can see. Whereas I find I I need to see them in person one-on-one to be able to see those nuances and obviously internal needs to be done in person. Um, Because some people can do a certain movement and have you know, in terms of intra-abdominal pressure and doming in their abdomen and downward pressure in their pelvic floor. And then another person could do the exact same movement and have none of that. So basically kind of the hard and fast rules just don't work. There's a lot of gray um, when it comes to core and pelvic floor. Yes, yes. And that is exactly what I was going to say is that really my growth in coaching has been from going from such a hard and fast mindset around exercise and movements 
and exactly what you said now into the gray it's all gray area things are different for everybody people respond so differently to all things and that is one of the reasons why we need to have in-person coaching and in-person assessments from physios and why I'm so grateful to work closely with people because we need that information especially if we're working online with clients so let's dive in this is the number one thing that tripped me up for so long and it is that I always thought that my clients needed to have perfect form and exercise and this is such a long history personal history of myself coming from a background in competitive gymnastics where perfect form was the goal in all things and I took that into my coaching and personal training and it would always make me so irritated when clients did not have what I considered to be perfect form. Really, the only one who was losing out in this situation was me because it just made it just made it hard for me to coach and I just made them think too much and get way too much in their heads about exercise when this is not rocket science and they would have been just fine and totally okay if I had have relaxed about the situation. And yeah, I think that it's such a great area because I totally agree coming from dance background, athletic background, Pilates background, it's very detailed. Um, and I would say I still, I still am detailed a lot with clients, especially initially when clients are coming in with different symptoms and we just need to work on form because that's going to affect, let's say their core canister, the intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so it's kind of playing around and figuring out what needs to happen and not all the pieces need to be exactly perfect form. But there are certain pieces of the puzzle that do need to come together for those symptoms to start start relieving themselves. Yeah, and I will say, just to add on to this a little bit, is that I really do value clean and pretty exercise technique, is how I like to call it now. But what I found, too, was that clients just need time and reps under their belt to be able to develop those skills. And if we have a new client or someone that is new to exercise and strength training, those movements just can feel really weird and so strange in someone's body to coordinate and put it all together. So I also found that I was just over cueing. And again, they would just be way too much in their heads and it wouldn't allow them to allow their body to do the movement and just to test and try and fail and that's totally okay and that is the point of learning new skills so the second one and this is one that i'm still coming out of coaching neutral spine on everything on every exercise Mm -hmm. so we know that having a stack body position or a ribs over hips body position can be helpful for people who are learning how to generate tension in the core and pelvic floor who are learning how to manage intra-abdominal pressure well but that's not how we live our life we don't live our life in a neutral spine position this is again more apparent to me now postpartum number two, baby number two, carrying baby in one arm, trying to do toddler things in the other arm. It's just, it's not real life. And again, this is, we're going to probably say this with every tip with this one is that the gray. Um, So when I'm starting to work with clients, I do work neutral quite often, um, especially because now with the pelvic health side to it, when I check clients internal, 
without a doubt, just because of positioning, I find most people, if I don't cue a neutral spine, they will naturally be a flat back or um, in the Pilates world, even kind of an imprint type position. And I have them try to engage and then I have them redo the exact same cue, same breathing in neutral and it's always better. Um, just because they find they can connect to it better. That being said, once they get that going, and again, symptoms start to change, then we're starting to play around with it. So I'd say I usually do start with neutral with a lot of movements, um, but then we got to play around with it and depending what they're doing. So for example, one of my um, clients, postmenopause clients I saw the other day, she everything has been feeling pretty good in terms of she has um, a uterine prolapse and so we've been working on symptoms and between kind of one session and the next no heaviness except she had to lift a really heavy um box of like perrier bottles um and so instead of teaching her like quote unquote proper lifting form because it's going to be awkward lifting things like that i basically taught her how to exhale with lifting and just kind of more caring about the uh intra-abdominal pressure than working on any sort of like neutral spine as you lift the box anything like that and she immediately in the clinic because we tested it with weight immediately felt a difference so sometimes it's just cueing like breathing it doesn't have to be neutral spine um because how you said just like real life isn't always going to be that way and just a caveat here from me too with my specific coaching that i do which is fully online based I'm basically still mostly coaching a stack body position in most weight training, strength training exercise. And then we simply talk about the strategy in the real life realms of how to lift in different positions, what to look out for, what other strategies we might use to feel good in those times. But again, when I'm not seeing people move in person and being able to tweak and coach and cue right there, it just makes me feel a little bit better to mostly be coaching in stacked body positions. We get into moving in many different ranges of motion in many different alignments. But as you said, we're always starting out in stacked body positions and learning how to be able to generate tension well and get that form down because I do think that that is key for setting a strong foundation of strength training technique going forward and progressing. And I like this number three. So always consciously engaging the pelvic floor in strength training reps. So share a bit about that, Jess, kind of how things have changed for you with that specific cue. I always, always used to cue my clients to lift the pelvic floor, engage the pelvic floor on every rep of every exercise in every workout. And then I started testing this out more on myself too, especially postpartum. And I found that this was not necessary. It was not necessary to feel strong, stable, uh, have good coordination, have good function in my core and pelvic floor, or to be able to do tasks effectively. But taking this even one step further for my personal situation and many of my clients who have reported this back to me too, who are more, uh, say, hypertonic in the pelvic floor or prone to carrying tension in the pelvic floor, it would ramp up my symptoms. It would ramp up their symptoms. So if they were consciously always engaging through hundreds of reps in a strength training workout, they just felt like their pelvic floor was on high alert during and after that workout. 
and this is what I experienced too. I would feel like just in my head more about my pelvic floor. I would have some urge incontinence afterwards. So I just think that it is important for us to know as coaches, trainers, that yes, we want to bring awareness to the pelvic floor, but we do not always have to be cueing the pelvic floor to lift and engage in every rep forever and ever. Yep, I would agree. And especially um, similar with my clients who are hypertonic or have generally carry tension in the pelvic floor, we focus more on keeping the breath going, like not necessarily holding your breath generally when they're not lifting like super heavy weight and that kind of playing around with the breath doesn't need to come into play. I just say just keep breathing through it basically and yeah to not overdo it because I think intuitively a lot of people just assume well, I just got to do this on every rep and I do have some clients who will do it for a number of reps to start with and then keep the breathing going after um, but yeah it's not a hard and fast rule it shouldn't necessarily be on uh, every rep it kind of depends what your body needs. And I love the cue that our friend and colleague Anthony Lowe uses. He says, match the tension to the task. And this is always what I try to remember and what I always try to coach with my clients too. If we are doing a glute bridge exercise from the floor, the amount of tension that we need to build in say the core and pelvic floor is not going to need to be too high because that task is not too difficult for most people. We're obviously going to feel some work happening, but if we compare that task of a glute bridge to something like deadlifting our body weight, that is very different, and we are going to need to generate more tension through the entire body through that task of the heavier lift. So match the tension to the task. You can keep that in mind as you're wondering if you do need to be engaging or feeling lift through the pelvic floor and the abdominals. So number four, this might sound strange at first, but let's chat through this one a little bit. So positioning exercise as something we do to be good role models to our children or to have the energy to take care of our babies. So often we think of exercise as nourishment or self-care. And a lot of times for moms, self-care is billed as doing stuff that is going to help us to take care of other people. So if we take care of ourselves, we're going to be able to take care of other people. And while I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, and actually it is true, I just think that it's problematic to constantly be thinking about taking care of ourselves only so we can feel good to then be in service to others. We deserve to take care of ourselves and to feel good because we are people who deserve to feel good. So this is something that I really try to take into my own movement practice, my own exercise, and for my clients to think about too. Because can't we just find some joy for ourselves in movement and exercise rather than it needing to be about someone else? I totally agree. I think we could apply that to a lot of areas of our lives. Um especially when it comes to parenthood, that we often get lost in the shuffle of taking care of these little people. That I totally agree that doing exercise or anything that you find enjoyable, having that sense of doing it for yourself is not selfish whatsoever. And you can look at it this way too. It's good for your little ones to see you doing that for yourself. So then that will be passed on to them versus feeling like you're doing it all for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people often ask me how I work out with Steel, our oldest three-year-old around, because they're like, isn't she on top of you? Isn't she asking for a million snacks the whole time? And yes, she is. 
but I also say things to her like, I'll be there in a second. I'm finishing my exercise and then I'll come help you. She always knows that my exercises are important for me and I don't, I don't simply run to her if she is asking for, again, this 17th snack during the 20 minute workout. So I think we have just gotten her used to the idea that mommy's doing her exercises right now. It's important. You can absolutely be around for it. I will be with you soon, but this is important to me to get this done. Um, and she's always asking, why? Why are you doing your exercises? And my answer is always, because it makes me feel good. So I hope that we just keep driving that point home with her. And by no means is exercising with her around enjoyable or easy, but it is important to me and that's the only way it's going to happen. So I have to make it happen somehow. And then for our number five, um, it's the do's and don't exercises for core and pelvic floor dysfunction, in particular diastasis and pelvic organ prolapse. So how has that changed um, over the years for you, Jess, as a fitness coach? I used to think about this in do's and don't lists for sure. If you have diastasis, don't do this. Once your diastasis is healed, then you can do this. Same thing with pelvic organ prolapse. If you have prolapse, don't do high impact exercise, for example. Don't do any running. Once the prolapse is managed, then maybe we can start adding that back in. So it's the same common theme that we've been speaking about hard and fast rules, do's and don'ts. If you have this, this is not okay for you. If you don't have this, then this is okay for you. And again, we just know that that is not the case. It's not the situation. There are so many variables at play for people who are presenting with diastasis and prolapse, and the case has to be individual in nature. I know that this is frustrating for people and people message me with questions about this all the time. We want a list, we want a simple answer and I wanna be able to give that simple answer and unfortunately, it doesn't pan out that way most of the time. And cause yeah, I have clients going in, so what's safe and what's not safe and we've talked about that before. I try not to use that language anymore just because the opposite of being safe is being harmful, right? And we don't, we don't really know and I think that my journey as a physio, that's where this has changed over the years because I feel as someone's physiotherapist, there is some responsibility on me. And I feel like if someone's symptoms get worse, that I'm part of the blame for that if I were to recommend an exercise. So I know I battle that sometimes still, but I, I go over with clients, especially with these two issues of we're gonna play with it. So we're gonna test stuff, we're gonna play with it, we're gonna see what happens to your symptoms, we're gonna recheck, um, and then that'll let us know. So these are strategies that can be helpful and we'll practice them in the clinic. Um, like I said, I posted the other day, I, I do have a skipping rope in my office, I have kettlebells, I have weights, and some pelvic physios may be like, how could you do that? Like, we shouldn't be doing that. But I'm like, why not? We have to test it out. So. We test out different high impact or loaded exercises, um, see how they feel in the clinic. Then I'll have them test it out and they know, they know if symptoms ramp up to then back off or try a new strategy. And then we end up having a follow up. We check in and re readjust. So I think once you get really comfortable with these different issues with the pelvic floor and you learn how to play and you learn how to discuss this with clients, then you realize there isn't really do's and don'ts. There's just this gray area that you're trying to figure out. Um, 
and especially too, depending on time of life. So in pregnancy versus early postpartum versus later postpartum versus menopause, postmenopause, our body keeps changing. So some of these um, symptoms might happen during a certain time in life and then we find strategies and they improve. So yeah, I say a lot of people want a list and it just doesn't exist. So I think what we're really summing up in this episode about five misconceptions about postnatal fitness coaching is the art of coaching in general. We have to test and try and tweak and see how someone responds to the programming or the treatments that we might be giving in order to coach someone effectively. So we're excited for you to join us on our next episode. We've had quite a few of our listeners ask for this specific topic. So we're gonna be speaking with a lactation consultant, Taya Griffin. Uh, from Toronto, Canada, and about basically breastfeeding. So this is going to be a breastfeeding 101 episode. Um, we've already gotten some great questions from many of you that we'll be including, as well as many questions that Jess and I had with our own nursing experience and that clients ask us about. So definitely stay tuned for our next episode to get all of those answers. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 